A game of chess is like a sword fight. You must think first before you move. I see your talents have gone beyond the mere physical level. Your skills are now at the point of spiritual insight. It's a Saturday edition of Teachers Talking Boxing, which is nothing special, actually, because we always go live Saturdays, but we don't go live every week. So what I should say is that it's a Memorial Day weekend edition of Teachers Talking Boxing, hence why I am not in my normal Bronx location, but I am joined by my fellow two teachers, Mr. Smallsy himself and my man Ludo, my co-teacher. And, uh, yeah, for those of you who don't know, here in the United States, it is a uh, weekend that is supposed to kind of commemorate fallen soldiers, um, but it's mostly used now to sell used cars. Um, people have barbecues, and, uh, you know, you, you'll see those, like, inflatable guys at the side of, like, the highway. Memorial Day weekend, you know, hot dogs, hamburgers, and used used cars, so... With all due respect to the uh, to the fallen, um, you know, we, we do want to memorialize you guys, but uh, we're going to do it this weekend by talking boxing. So uh, salute, guys. Uh, and look, we got a lot to talk about today because this past weekend, there was a quote-unquote robbery at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas, Nevada, USA. I was there live at the fight. I'm sure Small Z and Ludo have a lot to say about that particular fight. Uh, overshadowed, uh, I think, was one of the best knockouts I've ever seen live. Um, Junto Nakatani, uh, what a left hand. I want to get into that because uh, that might not just be punch of the year. That might be punch of the decade so far as I'm concerned as we uh, advance down into 2023. My man Smallsy's obviously in Australia where the heavyweight champion of the world is currently, and I'm going to ask Smallsy about that. And then, of course, we have to talk about the lead. It's been years in the making. I've been excited about it and then not so excited about it and then excited about it, kind of like my my crypto stock. Uh, it is official, finally. Spence is going to be taking on Crawford for the undisputed welterweight championship of the world. So I'm very excited about that. 
And uh, I want to talk about other things that are happening in the sport of boxing. But first, Smallsy, I'm going to throw it to you. Uh, How's it been going? And talk to me about watching boxing the last uh, few weeks since the last last episode. Yeah, so... um... Since the last episode, so we had the the Rolly Romero versus Barroso scandal, uh, where the the old man had it ripped away from him. Um, now I'm not one of the people who uh, think Tony Weeks got paid off personally. I think Tony Weeks just is just getting a little old, and he just made a mistake. It, in any in any profession, people make mistakes from time to time. I think also running through Tony Weeks's mind was possibly the Filipino fighter who. Uh, very, very um, sadly passed away due to in-ring injuries. I think I've got a feeling that was floating through Tony Weeks' mind and he saw this old guy, Barroso. Maybe from the angle he was watching, it looked like Barroso was actually taking the punches that Roly was missing. Uh, and he made a snap decision, uh, thought he was saving the old guy's life when really he was probably on his way to a victory. So, um, yeah, just a bad call in that fight, in my opinion. But I, I don't – I'm not going to say Tony Weeks was passed an envelope full of cash to, to make the call. Um, then uh, we had the the modern-day version of the Hagler versus Leonard debate with um, Lomachenko versus Devin Haney. Now, I might be the only person here who is actually Switzerland on this. I okay. had a score to draw, and – um, personally, I find it very hard to argue that uh, either one really, uh, you know, differentiated themselves from the other one. I thought at the end of that fight, I saw just two very good lightweights. And I think the, the debate, the inevitable, inevitable debate that came after that about uh, whether it was a robbery or whether it was a clear win for Devin Haney overshadowed the fact that it was actually a really good fight that didn't really get spoken about so much. It was more like someone was robbed or no, someone wasn't, you know, and the fact was it was actually a really entertaining, it was an edge of the seat fight, even though we knew there was not going to be a knockout at any stage. Somehow it was still an edge of the seat fight from round one to round 12 because of the you know two special talents that were on display. So I think that part has kind of been lost in the, the whole rigmarole of who won or who deserved to win. As I said, I personally had it a draw. There we have Loma. I think it looks like he's scoring an uppercut there. I had it a draw. I had uh, Haney winning more of the rounds in the first half. I think I had it four to two for Haney in the first six rounds. In the second half of the fight, Loma, as is pretty typical of him, he came, comes on later in the fight. I had him winning four of the, the last six. So I had it even up at the end. Um, I don't expect there to be a rematch because I think Devin Haney's sort of had a long-awaited move up to 140, so I think he's going to move on to 140. In terms of Loma, I don't know if he continues or not. What do you think, Ludo? So um, in terms of the fight itself, um, unbiased. I'm, un- I'm really unbiased. Um, you know, you hear about it. I heard about it because I was at a... I was at a, another boxing event in, in Connecticut that night. So I managed to see the first round on a phone as we were wrapping up. Then I tried to catch up, and I, I literally saw the last 30 seconds of the last round when I uh, entered the place I was going to watch it. 
Well, it is what it is. But then I rewatched it because in the meantime, you hear about the fight. Uh, and apparently, Lomachenko uh, robbed this and that. Okay. I watched it. I took the time. Uh, like you mentioned, first of all, it's it was an all-out war, relentless. Um, and like you said, I think it was overshadowed by the controversy. And it's sad. But I think that in the years to come, when people are going to rewatch it and rewatch it, they're going to sort of like forget this part. Uh, now, I'm not, I don't have the pretension to score the fight, but I really looked at it closely from a quote unquote expert eye. Experts be experts, right? And um, I give the win to me. Even though I'm Team Loma all the way. Uh, I've always supported, quote unquote, supported Loma. But in my opinion, uh, he lost. He lost. Uh, I know like there's a huge scandal about it right now. Um, so my, my breakdown, uh, you're right. Andy was probably not overwhelmingly winning the early. I mean, he was clearly winning the early. Loma won a few. I, I think Loma, uh, um, I'm not going to say he woke up too late because it's not a proper term in the fight like this. He probably showed a little more action in the end. But when you really look at it uh, in the hard exchanges, um, Haney's defense is on point. There's a lot of punches. Yeah, Loma throws combos, not everything lands. Sometimes nothing lands if you really look at it. And then when Haney throws, to be honest, like he throws like three, four-punch combos, and, and Loma actually gets hit. Uh, you may not see it because those are two, like, you know, what I did, outstanding fighters. But last part is when you see these hard exchanges, let's say Haney throws a combo, Loma's going to fire back but with what? One punch? Usually. I don't know if, if you agree with this. This Hopefully you agree with this. One I punch. agree with it. Sometimes barely landing or not landing really hard. And let's remember, it's pro boxing. It's not amateur boxing. So the not the impact of a punch, but the way the punch lands, you know, if it's a hard shot, if it's a... So, Maestro, I see you, you agree with me. Well, I mean, look, I got into a debate with people on this, and I've seen <laughs> other content creators talking about it and other quote-unquote experts talking about it and, you know, everything from... Haney was robbed, or sorry, Loma was robbed to uh, if you scored it for Haney, you didn't want the white fighter to win, as Paulie Malignaggi said, uh, or that you're a scumbag if you had it for Haney. Uh, I, I mean, I just don't agree with that, obviously. And it's like, well, you know, experts say, well, that's an appeal to authority. I'm not interested in what you're telling me that experts say. I want to know what you said. What do you think? What rounds did you have? Loma winning. What rounds did you have? Haina winning. Haney winning. Oh, well, you know, I didn't really score the fight. No shit. Okay. I mean, or uh, if you were scoring the fight, how were you scoring the fight? Where were you scoring the fight? Like I said in one of my streams earlier this week, I mean, were you drinking? Were other people around? Was music playing? Were you listening to commentary? Were you out at a bar? Because scoring a fight is something that you have to do in a very focused way. Okay. Um, a lot of people don't know this, but I actually am certified by the ABC as a judge and as uh, uh, a referee. I did the training for that. Uh, I was actually at the same training that Harvey Dock was at and others in uh, Connecticut. This was many, many years ago. 
Um, but I decided that, you know, I don't want to go down that road. I'd rather go down the, the coaching road because you can't do both. Um, you know, because obviously if you're, if you're a, a referee and you're also a coach, there's, there's an implicit bias there potentially with, you know, camps that you may know, fighters who you've fought, et cetera. So at the end of the day, scoring is done much like teaching, right? Uh, you teach towards an objective, all right? And when you're teaching, you should be evaluating learning based on some form of a rubric, right? What are you, is your criteria? Well, Jimmy, I gave you a 55. Okay, well, uh, teacher, well, how did you give me a 50? You should be able to explain that, right? Yeah. Um, judging is no different. All of these people out there said, oh, I had it, uh, you know, uh, a wide margin for Loma. Uh, based on what? So, I mean, what I'm going to show you guys here is it's often been pointed to that people at the fight had Haney winning, sorry, Loma winning, um, People that, uh, you know, on the, on the telecast had uh, Loma winning. This is the official telecast scorecard right here. All right. Uh, this was done by Max Kellerman. All right. You'll see he had Haney winning rounds one, two, four, and five. So he had him winning four of the first six rounds. All right. That's the official scorecard. I had it very similar. Um, the difference is I gave the 12th to Haney. All right. And there were a number of rounds in the middle uh, between six and nine that I felt were swing rounds. Ten and eleven were clear Loma rounds. Um, six through nine. Those are the rounds that some people gave to Haney. Some people gave to Loma. But if you even look at this scorecard, you flip a couple rounds and it's 115, 113 Haney, which is exactly what happened in my case. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. That's, not, not, that's not a robbery, right? Uh, that's a close fight with a number of swing rounds, which could have gone 115-113 Loma, like Max Kellerman had it, could have gone 115-113, like I had it, and like um, Anton M had it, all right? And, or it could have gone 115-114, sorry, like Smallsy had it, all right? Um, I think any level-headed person that actually scores to an actual criteria, not a made-up or invented one, will have had it a close fight. I reached out to Doug Fisher. You want to talk appealed authority? We could do appealed authority all day long. I reached out to Doug Fisher, who's the executive editor of The Ring magazine, right? Chief editor, mm -hmm. right? He had it 115-113 Loma, but said that 115-113 Haney was a fair scorecard. I reached out to Keith Eidick, senior writer at Boxing Scene. You want to do appeal to authority? I could do this all day long. He had it a close fight. He said that the scorecard of 115-113 was a fair scorecard, right? A lot of people are focused on the outlier, right, that Carl Moretti scorecard, right, and are discounting the fact that Devin Haney won a very close fight, and I'm sorry, Devin Haney did a good job on Saturday night. I mean, last Saturday night, he's a 24-year-old kid who's undisputed. He did something that Ryan didn't want to do, which was go to Australia, that Tank didn't want to do, which was go to Australia. He not only went there once to win the titles, he went there again to defend the titles against George Gambosis Jr. Again, something that other people didn't want to do. Oh, well, uh, Maestro, I don't really like the way he behaves. What has he done? 
He doesn't have any domestic charges. He doesn't have, he doesn't have any criminal convictions. He do, he doesn't even act crazy on social media. You know, I mean, what exactly is it about this kid that people don't like? I don't really know. I think personally, Bill Haney's done an excellent job as a father son sorry father son um, tandem leader, right? As a manager, as a trainer, as an advisor, as a father. I, I give full credit to Bill Haney because I think he's done a great job with Devin Haney. Um, so I, I personally, to me, when you're interjecting the robbery into the discussion, what you're doing is you're interjecting your emotional feelings and you're just telling on yourself that you didn't actually really score the fight fairly. When you say it was a rob, you're just saying, I wanted Loma to win and my feelings got hurt. Well, you know what? Facts don't have feelings. And the fact is Devin Haney was landing clean, effective punches for the majority of these rounds, Loma had a few big rounds, especially the 11th uh, and and the 10th, right? But I felt that Bevin Haney did a lot of work. And you know what? Body punches count in the sport of boxing, whether people like it or not. You guys can go. Yeah, I agree um, with that last part there about body punches. And I think that's part of the reason why there was the robbery uproar is because fans often don't score body punches the same way they score head punches, especially someone like Loma. Loma's very good at body language. So even when rounds, some of the rounds where he's landing less punches, his body language will maybe tell some observers that he's still winning that round. He's very good at sort of like uh, disguising the fact that Haney was landing good body punches. And unless you watch a lot of boxing like us, you know, if you're a more casual fan and you only tune in every now and then, you those might sort of, you know, pass you by and you don't see them. So I think that's probably partly what uh, where some of the, the cries of robbery were coming from. And then I agree. I think a lot of the, the robbery cries were also coming from an emotional investment in, in Loma. And that happens with these older legend type fighters. People have had a long-term investment in them and they really want to see them win, you know, I really wanted to see Pacquiao uh, win that last fight against you guys, but you know, it's just there's a time when uh, you know um, a younger guy comes in and takes it from you. I, in all fairness, though, I um, I do think Loma did enough to get the draw in this fight. Like I said, um, I, I saw I didn't really see either one of them sort of pull ahead from the other. There were rounds that Haney did well. There were rounds that Loma did well. But look, um, the the results been delivered and what i hope is that haney um you know i think this is a really good step in haney's career one thing that i agree with you completely on maestro is that bill haney is brilliant for uh for devon and i think that's one of the biggest assets that devon has in his career as a father who's such a good uh mentor and also just really knows the boxing business is really good at maneuvering <laughs> devon and makes the right decisions for him like Devin's just he's he's taken a lot of the right steps along the way and made a lot of money even before he fought um he put out a tweet once that's just a side story here Devin put out a tweet once that got deleted just straight after I should have screenshotted it but he he lit he kind of put it out there that he had made how much money he had made in boxing and this was before the Cambosis fights he put out that he'd made 10 million dollars so you could work out from the purses and the fights he'd had at the, at the time 
what had contributed towards that. But he'd made about 10 million before the Cambosis fights hit. So we're talking about a guy now who's probably made around $20 million in boxing and still has the majority of his career to go is undisputed lightweight champion is moving up to 140 where he can literally choose who he wants to fight up there. So um, yeah, his future is very bright for Devin Haney. 100%. And before you go, Ludo, I just want to say this. I teach kids that have issues, anger issues, issues getting into fights. And I wish we had more fathers like Bill Haney out there. I mean, the story of Devin Haney and Bill Haney is Devin Haney was a young kid who was getting into a lot of fights at school and his dad took him to a boxing gym and got him on the right track through discipline, through hard work, through a sport that provides structure and supported his son all the way to greatness. It would have been very easy for him to say, oh, you're a bad kid, uh, you know, go do this or go do that or, or not put him in the boxing and then not support him. No, Bill Haney put his son on the right path and has supported him all the way, like I said, to greatness. And I got to give him respect for that because it's very easy not to do that. It's very hard to take the decision that he took. Go for it, Ludo. Uh, like you said, you know, first of all, shout out to all the fathers who take care of their sons the way uh, Bill Haney takes care of Devin. Uh, I think it's amazing, especially in our sport. You know, it's always... Um, it always kind of softens our heart to see that, right? Because that's that mm. that's what we wanted we want to be able to do at the same time. And it's it's a great example of uh um giving their kids a structure and building them into uh strong, responsible people because people don't really realize that what it takes. Again, the casuals don't realize what it takes to be actually a, a high level athlete, especially in these sports. Now, going back to the, um, the robbery controversy, um, so a few things that I observe when I watch fights like that that are very um, controversial. There is a um, sort of tribal aspect to, um, you know, the fan base because casual fans want to be, always want to be able to identify to somebody. They want to be able to live through them because they can't do it, they didn't have the opportunity, or they're not, they just can't, you know, they're not capable of doing it. Uh, in the United States in particular, sadly, not for everybody, but there is still a racial component to it that's sort of not as prevalent as it could have been. Um, so there's that aspect. The second aspect uh, that's pretty new is the online betting because people put money on fighters so they expect the fighter to win so they sort of see him win even though they don't win. And the third aspect is, yeah, they're not experts. They don't really know. Like you said, body punches count. Uh, we, we, we addressed that, <clears throat> I think, in the, it was the, the first episode of the show that casual fans want to see a, or no, in Last time they want to see a bloody war. They don't want to. They don't really understand the concept of scoring points of what counts, what doesn't count, how we score. Uh, so they, uh, yeah, they solo matro a lot of uh, punches, but did they land? Did they do damage? Uh, a third aspect, and I, um, I told you about it after I watched the fight, uh, Maestro. When you see. Um, Loma defending punches and the combos. 
Just watch the watch the watch his feet. Watch his feet. He's a southpaw. In many occasions, he had to reset so because he was absorbing the the hard punch. He had a lot of pressure on him, and his lead foot was going back because he was getting was off balance in a way. Not in a way. He was was off balance, so he really had to reset. And uh, and uh, if you're a quote unquote expert, you would see that. Casual fans do not really see it. They're, 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 and they're so biased uh, towards their uh, whoever they support. Yeah, I agree with that, Ludo. And the other thing I wanted to say about that, too, is, look, people are the victims of, of what we consume, right? Or we're the victims of what we consume. And, you know, let's not discount the power of the conflict between Russia and the Ukraine and living in the West and what that added aspect added to the promotion and to sympathy towards Lomachenko. They never stopped talking about it, right? Russia invaded Ukraine. He decided to fight on the side of his country, you know, and then they add in all the other stuff of how long he holds his breath underwater and everything. Like, they go the extra mile um, with with him. And I think a lot of it is sympathy towards the fact that it is very unfortunate, obviously, that so many people are dying over there in this totally unnecessary uh, conflict. And, of course, I'm somebody who's very much against armed conflict. Um, so I hope that that situation ends. But that was also interjected into the discussion as well. Let me go to Jacob Sims really quick. He gave in the super chat, which, of course, I am very happy about. So thank you very much, Jacob. I appreciate that. Jacob Sim says, Ludo, thank you so much. Even if you aren't landing punches, if you are constantly facing your opponent or forcing your opponent to reset, you are controlling the round. That's it. I mean, in a nutshell, that's it. So, you know, I had some some things I wanted to share, but in the interest of time, I want to advance the discussion towards what happened on the undercard. And what happened on the undercard, guys, to me, uh, is one of the best knockouts I've ever seen live. Um, the other knockout that I have on the list uh, is actually a knockout that took place uh, many years ago. Uh, it was a Curtis Stevens essentially getting just laid out by David Lemieux in, uh, in uh, I think it was upstate New York. Upstate New York. Yeah, it was upstate New York. But yeah, it, it was the turning stone. I was there live for that fight. Um, and, you know, Curtis Stevens had gone into that fight saying that he was going to put um, the David Lemieux in a casket and all kind of other things. And he got stretched, literally stretchered out of the ring. Um, advance a few years. And there I am sitting down in the MGM Grand, ready to watch a fight that. Ludo, I told you before that I was very interested in because I'm a big uh, uh, fan of, of Junto Nakatani. And boy, did he deliver. Uh, I'm going to put it on the screen so you guys can check it out right he now. This is, this is right on my, uh, on my, uh, on my YouTube account. But, I mean, he really did a number on Maloney. I mean, look at that left hand. So uh, I know it's difficult for you to look at small Z. Uh, 
but I do want to go to you first. I mean, Maloney is an Aussie fighter. I think he bit off a little bit more than he could chew in this case, uh, going after the title vacated by Kazuto Wioka, and I'm going to get into that in a moment. But Smolzy, what was what was your thoughts on on that knockout? Oh, it hurt. I mean, the Maloney twins. They there was a time when they were the real darlings of Australian boxing, and you know, Ludo said before, like they were the Charlo twins of Australia, and you know, they were going to go and, and and fly the flag for Australia in international boxing, and they did pretty well for a while, until they took things to Japan. And it turns out in those weights, just don't mess with the Japanese. Uh, so, you know, first we had that brutal knockout by uh, Inoue against yeah. um, uh, against uh, Andrew. Andrew, Andrew Maloney. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was also and, in the United States. Yes. Yeah. I, I think it might have been on Halloween, possibly. I think it um, was during the pandemic, too, if memory serves yeah. me well. Yeah. Um, and now Junto Nakatani, who I've heard about this Nakatani guy for a long time. This is the, actually the first fight I've, I've seen Nakatani in. Yeah. And one thing that I was really um, proud of my boy for in this fight was that this was not a Paul Butler versus uh, Naya Inoue type fight. No. This wasn't, he was not there just to survive the rounds, even though he did survive pretty well until, until that yeah. last round. He was there, he was constantly there trying to win. And ultimately, that led him in the last 10 seconds of the fight, last 15 seconds of the fight, to get absolutely pasted onto the canvas. I was watching it, and I was thinking, in that last 30 seconds, I was thinking, like, you know what? Well done, Maloney. You know, you've, you you tried, you never gave up, and you're still on your feet at the end of the fight. And I felt like I might have cursed him then because about three seconds later, he just imploded onto the canvas with that one punch. So... Look, um, we would like to uh, just discuss terms with Japan. Um, we do not want to continue this this fight at all. Uh, yeah, um, Japan, well done. You take this one. There you go. And I misspoke. Uh, Jason Maloney. Um, Jason, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Not uh, who fought uh, in a way. Uh, Ludo, go for it. Um, <clears throat> that this knockout of the year is it? I it's the best knockout I've seen live. Like I said, since Lemire Stevens, for me, it's yeah. knockout of the decade. If we're starting at twenty twenty, look at it. I, I haven't seen another knockout. Look at the the foot placement. Look at like I mentioned uh, uh, to you. Tony, and now there is a situation in the ring. Look, look, look at it. Let's look at it again. Oh! oh placement. Oh, he leans. Devastating. He is and there's a little bit like a quarter of a second of waste time. Like, like, Dynamite like, power by Nakatani. And now there is a situation in the ring with Maloney. Oh! Like, the, I don't know if you noticed that. Oh, that was devastating. Maloney. Let's see if I can place that punch. I think I can place that punch. Yeah, I know I can place it. Let's go. It was, yeah, I mean, he had worked on it for like. I was about to say that it's something yeah, that he had been work. He had been working on creating that opening literally all night long, and he'd already dropped uh, Maloney prior to that knockout. I mean, it was 
Uh, I mean, not only all night long. He had, he's been working on that in the gym. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like he, for sure. With, with Rudy. By the way, this is a Japanese fighter who's been coming over to the United States since he was a teenager to train with Rudy Hernandez in California. Rudy's, I, I, I like to consider him like almost a boutique trainer because he doesn't focus on having a large, large stable of fighters. Mm. Um, and those are the kind of trainers, the ones that are really devoted to their fighters that, that get the most out of them, I feel, especially when they start with their guys young. Um Later on in his career, guys like Freddie Roach, they took on like a lot of trainers. I uh, mean, a lot of fighters. Even Ismael Salas recently, I, I felt, has really taken on a lot of guys. Like uh, I said this about the Joe Joyce loss to uh, Zhang Zilei. He had had two back-to-back championship fights in the same month going into that fight with Joe Joyce and Zhang, right? Because he had had the... Uh, uh, the... Uh, uh, fight on showtime uh, with uh, the towering inferno uh, at 154 um and uh he had had the fight after that uh, with robasis and ramirez at 126 so he had the lead up to the fundora knockout right by brian mendoza who he was training and then a couple weeks later you had the fight with uh robasis winning the title and then he had joe joyce i think it's too much guys like rudy hernandez they they take on small stables, just a couple guys, and they really focus on that guy. And you could see he got the best out of out of Nakatani. I mean, this kid, I'm telling you, he's a phenomenal talent. There's a reason I was speaking about him so much going into this fight weekend and while I wanted why I wanted to see him. I didn't expect this, but I expected something something uh spectacular. Puro Sur says, uh, Rudy, a great trainer. Uh, he Gennaro's brother, QEP. Uh, he also says that KO reminds me of Valdez versus Burchell. And, and uh, uh, he's also he's big in a Bruce Gat, who's also in the chat. So I just wanted to give Nakatani his flowers. Uh, and last thing I want to say is when you look at 115 pounds, you got a lot of good names, right? We've got Chocolatito still. You got Juan Estrada still. Kazuru Wioka has to rematch Joshua Franco. Uh, which is why this belt was vacant for Nakatani to collect. Essentially what happened is the Franco fight was a unification fight for Franco's WBO title. And uh, in, uh, sorry, um, Kazuto Ioka had the WBO title, but it was a draw. So he had the option, do you A, take on Nakatani and keep your WBO title, or do you relinquish the WBO title and take on Joshua Franco in the rematch? Well, guess what? He took on he's going to take on Joshua Franco in the rematch. I think that's a much better decision for him, honestly. But what I also think it does is set up a Japanese super fight between two titleists for unification. I mean, Kazuto Ryoka, uh, Junto Nakatani, uh, if, if that could happen, wow, that would be a super fight that I'd really look forward to watching. What about you guys? Well, just as you mentioned Joshua Franco, I have yeah. to say it's that's the, the Joshua Franco Andrew Maloney story is, is quite an unfortunate one for Andrew because really that first fight, I thought Andrew did plenty enough to win that first fight against Joshua Franco. The second fight was essentially a robbery, but uh, through via a technicality, they, they called it a no contest based on a headbutt, which on review of the tapes never happened. It should have been a knockout for Andrew Maloney. He had to go and fight Joshua Franco a third time, which is when he lost his bout. So um, 
you know, sometimes the the cards that some of these boxes uh, draw just are a bit unfair. He then has obviously had to go and face Nakatani, and the rest is history. Yeah, um, there you there you go. Uh, so I do have to ask you for some inside information, Small Z, considering you're down there. This week, Tyson Fury landed in Australia. Uh, there were talks about him potentially taking on Dempsey McKee um, down there in some kind of a stadium fight. But then by the end of the week, we started hearing rumors that an offer had been sent to Anthony Joshua for them to fight at Wembley in September. Talk to me about Dempsey McKean and talk to me about the response in Australia to Fury arriving there this week, please. Um, yeah, look, the Fury arrival in Australia, um, it's the boxing scene in Australia is sort of niche. So you'll hear about um, Tyson Fury via things like Fox Sports and, and like uh, the, the, specific news sites that are directed towards sports and, and that have a little, that boxing appeal, but it's not something that actually gets out into the, you know, the, the, like the wider sports audience in Australia. So Tyson Fury might've actually felt like it, it was a bit more of a quiet reception than what he would expect going somewhere like the States or the UK. Um, but for us boxing fans who are following it, it was quite interesting. Um, I didn't for one second believe that he was going to fight Dempsey McKean. Um, I, I think that, uh, he, he's a, he's a guy who likes to fashion himself as a man of the people. And I think coming to Australia and saying, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm a fighting man. I'm going to fight to, I'm, I'm going to bring a fight to Australia. You know, he probably wanted to just sort of uh, probably appease some of the uh, Australians he was speaking to at the time. The fight that actually perked my ears up for a moment was when, um, the Jaya Pattaya's name came up, which I actually think although Tyson would be a very, very heavy favorite in that fight. Um, yeah, there we go. There's the image there. I think actually Opataya would be the much more interesting fight than Dempsey McKean being that he is a, you know, a cruiserweight, a very crafty cruiserweight uh, uh, with good power, be a much, I think a better way to prepare for Alexander Usyk than fighting Dempsey McKean, who's really just, you know, another Brazil. He's, he's nothing special. So, um, the Opatai fight got my attention, but let's be honest. There's no way that Fury is going to come to Australia to fight for a, a paycheck that's under $10 million. Uh, you know, it's not going to happen. Um, he, I don't even think he'd really be able to sell out a, a, a proper stadium here. You know, it's not, he just doesn't have the audience here that he will have in, in the U S and the UK. The guy, the guys who really get big boxing audiences here, are Australians. Uh, even when Pacquiao came here, he had to fight, you know, an Australian with a bit of a name and a bit of a backing to, you know, to fill out a, a stadium in, in Brisbane. So um, guys like Tim Zhu will actually get more attention than someone like Tyson Fury in Australia. Um, so, yeah, I don't believe for one second that Tyson Fury is coming here to fight. Um, I think he's blowing a bit more smoke like he likes to. And it sounds like, or at least Hearn, Eddie Hearn has poured cold water on even the prospect of the, of the upcoming Anthony Joshua fight. Ludo, uh, thoughts on, on, on Fury or at, at this point have you kind of just, is it white noise when you hear news about Tyson Fury or 
that does do these con do these constant uh, stories about him fighting X Y Z still resonate with you at all? Um, <clears throat> I want to see something now. Stop talking. Just do it. You know, I mean, uh, um, uh, that you know, it it gets a little exhausting after a while. You hear so you want to see the guy like you've been wanting to see the guy for a long, long time. You know what he's capable of. You know, you know his skills. But then you know, uh, um, now it's getting like celebrity gossip at this point, and you know I don't like celebrity gossip, but I like Fury, of course. Who doesn't? Yeah. Who doesn't like Tyson Fury? I haven't. A lot of people, actually. In fact, a lot of people on the channel that I, I used to met, I debate on debate on often. Small Z knows me knows well, what I'm talking about. Yeah. There's, there's a Ludo. There's a big community out there that are not fans of Fury. But look, what you just said, Ludo, a moment ago. That um, tight. You know, we know he's skilled. We know he's good. Why doesn't he go and just fight someone? I think that all the time. If I had Tyson Fury's boxing ability and size, I would just be taking fights all the time. Anybody, like, like anybody, he can't take anybody at this point. Why don't exactly. why he do it? Is it a money issue? Is it uh, is he going through like personal stuff like like that we don't know about? Is he like? I, I have a theory on this, Ludo. Yeah, and I don't know if. I don't know if other people agree with me or not, but I actually think that despite all the, you know, the facade of bravado that Tyson Fury has, and we know he's obviously, we know he's also got mental, mental health issues behind it. I think that every time he steps in the ring, especially in the early rounds, he is shaken by fear basically. And if you go back and look at the first time I noticed this was seeing him in the Tom Schwartz fight. The first couple of rounds of that Tom Schwartz fight, he looked like a guy who was scared and trying to look like he wasn't. He sort of does this thing where he sometimes he'll sort of step back. He looks a little bit uncomfortable in the first couple of rounds and you'll see him like sometimes reach out and kind of grab onto the ropes. Like he's just kind of looking for some support. As soon as you see that happen, you know, he's not quite comfortable in every fight. He, in every fight he's ever had, he warms into it though. He gets, and he gets his comfort back, but it's like he has this little bit of stage fright at the start of a fight. And I think that he's, despite all the talk, he's got a little bit of fear mixed in with all the other bravado and things in there as well. And it just makes him a little bit hesitant sometimes. It's funny you mentioned the Tom Schwartz fight because I do agree. He did look a little bit vulnerable in the first round. But then in the very next round, he looked like a guy that would never be beat by anybody in boxing. I mean, the offense... The slick defense. I mean, he was slipping and rolling shots as a heavyweight. I mean, on the ropes, you know, and then countering off with, with a body shot. Uh, I, rem I remember. Like, this... I think it was his best round ever. Like in his career, yeah. I think that was his best. It was round like ever. it was like yeah. Matrix level stuff, literally. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's always that thing with Fury where you don't quite know what's going on. But personally, I think that that's part of the allure of Fury. It's just starting to get to the point now where it's becoming a little bit annoying to even people that are excited about his fights. Um, go for it, Ludo. Kind of like Spence Crawford at this point. Well, that's the next. That's the that's that's the next one right there that yeah. I wanted to get into. Quick, quick, quick thing. Yeah. I see the comment, uh, you know, that you highlighted, Clarence McLean. And I gotta say, it's a small word because that was like this name sounds familiar. Yeah. And um and uh yeah, I personally uh I did not expect to uh, see this person on the chat, but we personally met at 
old John's gym in the Bronx. Uh, and I know he was into a lot of uh, prospective uh, ventures when it comes to the boxing business. So shout out to you, my guy. Shout out, to, shout out to Clarence McCain. And by the way, shout out to Mr. T, who's always over there training people at McCombstown Park by Yankee Stadium. I'm going to set up over there in the coming weeks and do a show with him um, right there for, from the park. Um, maybe you could come for that one too, Ludo, because we'll be, uh, we'll be off school. We'll have a little extra time. Summer break is almost here. So, um, there you go. Uh, but look, we got to get into the last topic of discussion, which is the lead. Uh, it's official. All right. After many, many years of having us wait, we're finally going to get an opportunity to see the undisputed welterweight championship of the world contested between universally two of the top five, quote unquote, pound for pound fighters in the sport. This is the welterweight division. This is the glamour division. This is one of the OG original divisions in boxing. This is the division of Mayweather. This is the division of Oscar. This is the division of Tito. This is the division of division of Shane Mosley. This is the division of Sugar Ray Leonard, Marvin, sorry, not Marvin Hagler, but uh, Thomas Hitman Hearns. I mean, I could go on and on and on back to Sugar Ray Robinson and so many other great fighters. Henry Armstrong fought as a welterweight. This is the fight, guys, and Listen, when it was first announced, I was very skeptical. I actually went here on this channel and did a show about how uh, they've done this to us a couple times just this year alone. But now it's official. Uh, and uh, let me play a little bit of Terrence Crawford talking about this. And then I'd like you guys to talk about the fight. Everybody, the wait is over. Oh, I got to actually uh, share the audio. Hold on for a second. Let me stop that. And that again. Hopefully you guys can hear the audio. If you can, he's essentially announcing the fight. Errol Spence, Terrence Crawford, July 29th, Las Vegas, Nevada. Everybody come out, show support, and watch me fry this fish. So I don't know. Could you guys hear that? You heard it, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah there you go. All right. So uh, he, he said he's going to fry this fish. It was big fish, big fish uh, when he was looking for, for Spence last summer in the ocean. Well, he's finally... Got the big fish. Now he's going to have to wrestle the big fish. Uh, you know, he brought the big fish onto the boat, but the big fish still isn't food. So we'll see what happens. Ludo, talk to me about this fight. What took so long? First question. What took so long? Um, I, I got Crawford uh, for a wide array of reasons. You know, I got Crawford. Um, I think we, uh, we are about to see... A very close and tight fight again. Um, now, um, I, I don't know if it's just me. I don't think we hear too much about it because it was probably a little stale at this point. And I think uh, even the media got a little uh, tired of the wait. But I don't see all the, the excitement. Maybe when we get close to it, we're going to hear more about it. But... I think as we're going to get closer and closer and closer, it's going to, the hype is going to build up. Uh, but I, I'm getting a little more excited. You know, when we mentioned it last time, I was like, eh, this is a little, it's a little stale at this point. But now I'm like, okay, now I'm getting, getting a little more excited. But I, I got Crawford. 
for a wide variety of reasons. Are you going points? Hmm? Are you going points or knockout? Uh, I got points. I got points. Yeah, I mean, I, I have to favor Crawford, but what I will say about Errol Spence Jr., this is a guy who's a big welterweight who throws 70-plus punches around, which is so much higher than the welterweight average, and who really does a good job at fighting at levels, at angles, and at throwing good, clean body punches. Um, I, I'd suggest that anybody go back and watch that that fight with Ugas. Um, you know, Ugas is a top-tier elite fighter, and he just man all, pretty much manhandled Ugas while breaking him down, like, technically. Um, so I'm looking forward to it. One thing I will say about Spence too, is he's very resilient. Um, he's a guy with a very strong mindset. He's the guy that took Kell Brook's O from Kell Brook in Sheffield in a football stadium. He's a guy who literally fought everyone on the PBC side of the street. Porter, Ugas, Danny Garcia. I could go on and on. He's, he's done it. So we've got. Crawford, who's passed every eye test you could imagine, but who hasn't really been tested to the same extent as Spence in terms of level of competition. I'm very excited about it. Flight has been booked. Hotel has been booked. And I'm uh, at some point, I'm going to let Ludo break, break his side of that. But I think Ludo's going to be potentially going to that fight as well. And we might have to do a Teachers Talking Boxing live on location. Go for it, Smallsy. Yeah, look, um, by the way, I I really, really want to be excited for this fight. And I am. Part of me is very excited for this fight. It um, It is still an excellent fight. Uh, Gilokin took Brooks O. Yeah, yeah he just took his welterweight. Oh, my fault. He took his title. Yeah. I, I said, oh, I meant title. But yes. Um, it was, I mean, Brooke was still great at the time. So that was a, like, you, you couldn't beat Brooke at, at that level even coming off the Golovkin when you wouldn't beat Brooke unless you were an elite guy at welterweight at the time um now this fight it's a little bit like you know maybe a, a chocolate cake that's been sitting in the pantry for a little too long and instead of becoming really marinated it's just maybe starting to get a little bit stale and it's not stale in terms of I don't think the fight is going to be great because the fight will be excellent and it, I I would bet on this being the fight of the year easily. Um, my problem with it is that often with a big fight, the part of the investment that we have as fans in the fight is what do we see that guy, what the winner, what legacy does he go on to create or, or what legacy does he go on to have? Now, the winner of this fight, I still don't know if they become an all-time great because I don't think either of them they both sort of left it, this fight so late in their careers that I don't know that they'll have the time to go on and do the amazing things that they could have done if they'd had this fight five years ago. If they'd had this fight in, in you know in 2019 when it was really the there was a lot of momentum for it to happen. Since then, imagine what they could have done. They could have had an entire trilogy. One guy could have come out victorious. Could have moved up and and taken on uh, Jamel Charlo, who you know has especially um, recently Jamal Charlo has been considered a pound-for-pound pound guy. Yeah. If they'd managed to beat him as well, then they would be 
some one of them would be elevated into all-time great status possibly top you know top 15 top 20 of all time up there you know putting their name right next to mayweather pacquiao um i don't know if the winner of this fight is going to have the time in their career to do that now which is which is why i wish it happened a little earlier um in terms of who i think win, i've always picked crawford in this fight from the very start even when um you know early on when crawford was just moving up to welterweight and um spence was kind of the big favorite now it's kind of switched now more people are picking crawford and funny thing is as we just near close to the date i'm just starting to think maybe spence actually will have enough just he's he's very fundamentally sound errol spence and you know maybe for all the you know artistic and and violent things that crawford can do maybe it's just the really solid fundamentals of boxing that spence does so well that's you know could sneak a decision i agree with luda i think it's going to go to a very close decision um so i can't pick it i'm excited i think it'll be an excellent fight but I just wish it happened earlier so that we could see more legacy happen for the winner afterwards. Yeah, I mean, a lot has happened. Spence has had not one but two car crashes. Um, the first one he bounced back from w taking on a really good opponent in, in Danny Garcia, which is why I gave him so much credit for that. Um, and we have seen Crawford lose rounds. Uh, we have seen Crawford... Uh, you know, dropped, although Mean Machine didn't get credit for it. He did drop him in, in that fight. It's not with it's not beyond the realm of possibility that Errol Spence Jr. will take some of these early rounds and then Crawford will be in an uphill battle and Errol Spence will be much more resilient, strong, and just a much better boxer than guys Crawford's been able to rally back from and stop. So it's going to be a very good fight. I'm very excited about this fight. And uh, I want to see what people in the chat think about it. So far, actually, wow, 67%. Oh, it's only a, co a couple votes, though, think that Spence is going to beat Crawford. I noticed that Nando thinks that Spence is going to beat Crawford. Um, either way, I know it, we're going to have a very good fight. And this is what we want in boxing. We want undisputed championship fights between the number one and number two in the division. This is exactly what we're getting. Last thing, though, before I go back to you, Ludo, is that I think that one thing that this fight also does is clear out the division um, in terms of this, this, finally who is the who is the best and then letting the next generation that's just behind kind of come to the forefront because I'm hoping that these guys will move up. Um, and usually, as is the case, after these undisputed fights, because of, uh, you know, mandatory title defenses, et cetera, the fights uh, or the titles get fragmented. And what do we have? Well, we have Alexis Rocha, who's fighting this weekend. We have Boots Innes, right? We have Virgil Ortiz. Uh, so we have a next generation coming just under. And, of course, Stanley Onis. Um, so there's that aspect as well. Any last things to say on this fight, Ludo, before I go to the very last thing I wanted to talk about today? <clears throat> Sorry. <clears throat> no, Smosey got a point. Uh, we wanted to see that happen earlier, but maybe there could have been room for a rematch, a, a trilogy, whatever. You know, the problem is now this fight's going to happen. Everybody's going to be really happy about it. Whoever wins, now what? 
Um, now what? And not only a rematch, but it could have left room for tweaks of fights or another contender or who knows. There you go. So the last thing I wanted to talk about uh, really briefly is what's happening in the UK this Saturday. We have three fight cards, all for championship fights, uh, all on the same weekend, literally all at the same time. I, I just don't understand how the promoters allowed this to happen on BT Sport, which we can watch here in the U.S. on ESPN. It's Luis Alberto Lopez defending his title against Mike Conlon. All right. Uh, that's a featherweight fight. Then we have another featherweight fight in Mauricio Lada, who I want to get into what happened with him in a moment. He's going to be taking on Lee Wood. Lee Wood apparently is going to have an opportunity now to fight for a vacant title because Mauricio Lada was prevented from defending his WBA featherweight championship. That's going to be on the zone. And then on Sky Sports in a fight that's not available in the U.S., maybe it's available in Australia, Smolzy. We have Lawrence Acoli defending his WBO Cruiserweight Championship against Chris Billum-Smith. And all of this takes place before Alexis Rocha takes on Anthony Young again on the zone in a welterweight title fight. Three fight cards from three arenas, essentially in the same time zone on three competing networks. I don't know. I just don't... How, how did they not figure this out and make sure that there weren't these kind of conflicts. I just don't get it. Smolzy. Well, apparently the, the BBBOC, which is always in the news nowadays, they yeah. used to actually like not allow these things. And slowly as their power has been eroded into what is now like virtually nothing, uh, the promoters are the ones who just kind of do backroom deals and organize things. And I think the reason why, uh, Billum's the the Akoli Billum Smith fight couldn't be moved is because uh, that, that fight's taking place at Chris Billum Smith's kind of football home ground, Bournemouth, Bournemouth um, seaside seaside town in southern England, very beautiful. Yeah, exactly. Which you would know you you've li you've lived over that ways um, in the past. Um, actually, you got a passport from there, don't you? I do. Yeah, I have a British passport. Yeah. yeah. So I think um, they basically it was the only date they could get for that fight. They had to take that date, or the or they could they couldn't deliver it for Billum Smith. And then I think um, in terms of uh, the other two, the Mick Conlon fight, uh, basically, um, what what's the name of the uh, promoter there? Um, Queensbury. Queensbury yeah. got in touch with Eddie Hearn and said, "Look, we'll just go an hour earlier." So the McKellen fight is actually happening one hour earlier than the other two, which are going on at the same time. Oh, that's good. Um, yeah. So uh, the who who's going to be watching? I mean, you can only watch really. You can only watch one fight at a time. So I think this is probably going to be split across the kind of football, like you know, allegiances that seem to go all through the UK. Yeah. If you're a Bournemouth supporter, you're probably going to be watching the Akoli Bill Smith fight. Uh, if you're a, um, I can't remember the name of. Um, Lee Lee Wood is uh Lee. is fighting Lada, but he's uh, and yeah. he's fighting him in Manchester. I don't I don't yeah. know. Yeah, but 
So yeah. he's got a specific club, like a small. I don't think they're a Premier League club, but there's like uh-huh. a, you know, but probably Manchester is going to be following that fight. And yeah. over in Belfast, we got the the uh, Conlon fight. So I think they're just going to be sort of the uh, the eyeballs are all going to be separated in this this weekend. Yeah. Um, but wh- what do you want to start on, Maestro, with these? No, I, I wanted I wanted to talk about what the BBBOC has done to Mauricio Lada. Um, a few years ago, that they, they not I think it was two years ago. Uh, they 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 essentially handed Paul Butler a, a title belt. He was supposed to defend. Sorry, he was supposed to challenge for uh, John Real Casimero's W eight WBO one hundred and eighteen pound championship. Um, but they apparently caught Casimero using a sauna in the hotel he was staying at, uh, yeah, and they wouldn't allow him to fight. I mean, he he was losing weight fight week he was using a sauna it's something that fighters all over the world do but apparently you're not allowed to do that in the uk so they stripped them and they brought in a last um, minute opponent who uh paul butler fought won a title from and then of course went over and didn't really try to do much against in and lost so that they've already done that so in this fight days before the weigh-in they did a pre-weight check of the WBA featherweight champion of the world, Mauricio Lara, and they said, listen, you're too high. We're not even going to allow you to try to make 126 pounds. You're not allowed to weigh in any less than 128. I think it was 0.6 pounds. It was quite specific. And he lost his title. He can't defend his title. His title's been vacated. He, according to Eddie Hearn, made clear that, listen, I'm just, this is how I make weight. Like, I'm going to lose the weight uh, for the weigh-in, but they refused. They wouldn't allow him. And again, now Lee Wood gets the fight for a, a title that, that's been, I, I guess, vacated, um, uh, granted against the opponent. But, you know, Lada doesn't have an opportunity to even maintain his title, which he's obviously upset about. And, you know, Nando says, oh, shit, that's effed up. Yeah, it is effed up. Papa Chubby Chubby says, what a joke. The BBBOC has again inserted themselves and led to a foreign fighter being stripped of his title. I, 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 I can't really say more than that. I think I think it's it's pretty, pretty terrible. But Ludo, go for it. Uh, yes, uh, I don't like the I don't like the politics in boxing and uh the, all the peripheral stuff. Uh, the way you describe the story, I mean, that would be that would be something that would make a fighter retire. Uh, it's very nasty. It, it, it messes with with like immorally messes with you in a way that that you you really question what was all the hard work for. It's it's. It's disgusting. Um, I would focus more. I mean, I have more interest towards uh, a, a common fight. Mm. Just you know, random. Uh, so if you were wa- if you were watching, if you had to watch the th- one of the three fights, you're selecting the um, Conlon fight. But I would, for, the, for the IBF title. Yes, but I'm gonna say you are gonna ruffle a lot of feathers uh, saying that it's happening. No, 
No, I didn't say it was happening in the UK. I said it's happening. It's happening in the same time zone. I'm very well aware. I'm very. No, no, I'm very. I'm very. No, no, I'm very well aware that it's happening in the Republic. Emphasis on Republic of Ireland. Okay. Is it? Is it? I thought it was Belfast. Oh, shoot! It is. Yes. Oh no! Oh no! No no. Oh my God! Don't. don't. Oh, uh oh! I'm getting now. You got me into the politics. No, it oh isn't Belfast. It is in Belfast. It's in Northern Ireland. So uh, Northern Ireland, when you speak to uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, you're right. Irish people, yeah, do not ever uh, uh, no, 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 use the term Northern. No, it's happening they, in they Belfast. It will not agree. Which, which by the way, I'm going to go on record and saying I think that Belfast should be in the Republic of Ireland. I have no problem saying that. I think Ireland should be united. You know, it's 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 an island. Like, let them have one country on that island. You know, so it is what it is. Whether conversations uh, uh, with with Irish people, I don't want to be too, here too far off the topic. But yeah, uh, I, I do want to give a big up though for the super chat to Ohio runs boxing. Ohio runs boxing. Uh, hopefully, I'll see you at the fight in Toledo, uh, where Jared Big Baby Anderson's going to be fighting. Let me know, Ohio Runs Boxing, if you plan to be over there. I'm also hoping to see my brother Eric Lorda from Ringside Reporter over there. Um, but there you go. Uh, Smallsy, uh, if you had to watch one of these three fight cards, which one would you be choosing? Uh, if I had to watch one, it was going to be the Lara Wood one. Um, yeah. But that's kind of a – like – a bit of a sour taste now, um, you know, given the things that have gone on there. I think that with the um, stripping the belt, I'm actually on board with measures that are put in place to to make sure that, you know, fighters are, are healthy when they go into the ring. What I have a problem with is that this clearly wasn't communicated to Mauricio Lara. So, uh, you know, if he's got a process that he uses to make weight all the time and it works for him, He's going to do that, and unless he's been told prior that he has to make a certain weight by a certain date, you know, you're really taking the battle from in an unfair way. It also makes no sense, and it, it doesn't make, um, you know, fighter safety sense the way things have unfolded because now you have one guy who is coming in at a, at a higher weight who hasn't had to drain himself down to 126, so therefore he's going to be healthier, and you have one guy – the other guy um, – uh, Lee Wood, who looks really, really drained on the scales. Like he looked like, you know, there was nothing but skin and then, you know, his little, you know, just straight to his frame. And so he looked I like, that, uh, he looked like um, my man in that movie, the, the mechanic, you remember? Yeah, exactly. Right. So uh, um, the, his name's, his name's escaping me right now, but Christian Batman, Bale, Christian Bale, Christian Bale. Yeah, Christian. You remember Bale. that movie, or when he, or when he played Mickey Ward's uh, older brother in the Fighter, which was even yeah, before Dick, the Dickie Mickey Eklund. Dickie Eklund. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, you've got basically now, as a result of the safety measure, you now have one guy going in who's going to who's had to significantly drain himself more than the other. So it's now it's working out. It's going to be unsafe for Lee Wood. Anyway, given that, I think I'm with Ludo here. My my one of the three cards that i would watch is um is the conlon lopez fight and i would also add i'm also in favor of uh ireland becoming a, a complete republic um, i'm in favor of the uk that, becoming yeah. a republic <laughs> and australia yeah. That's so right, yeah 
I mean, it is what it is. Yeah. Uh, but no, no, a great, great one there, um, Small G. So are we are we saying essentially that we're all because uh, I agree. I want to watch the same fight. I mean, that says a lot about what we're saying about Lawrence Acoli. Um, mm. I just think Lawrence Acoli's last performance, it's like you put him head to head up against two world championship fights and you're expecting people to watch like I like Acoli, uh, you know, um, but he's going to really have to turn in, a, a, I would say, spectacular performance tonight to kind of win people back. Um, I really do. And also to try to get people excited about uh, more domestic uh, showdowns in um, the UK at 200 pounds, which I guess are in the uh, card should he come through against Chris Billum Smith, who is an exciting fighter. And by the way, we do have a little subplot here because uh, they share or used to share the same trainer, right? Um, but... Akoli is now with a Sugar Hill out of the Cronk Gym and is no longer with a Shane McGuigan, who trains uh, Christian Billum Smith and who used to train Akoli and who also used to train Daniel Dubois, who is now training with somebody else. So interesting there. Uh, last thing I want to say, though, about Lada is apparently he uses the process of hyperhydrating to cut weight. Uh, this is a process that a lot of fighters have started to use and a lot of people out of MMA have been using it for years. If you're wondering how they get those extreme kind of cuts and then rehydrations, essentially what they do is the the week of the fight, they drink like one and a half to two gallons of water a day. Um, so liters and liters of water, like five, six, seven, eight. Uh, and then 12 hours before, they almost completely stop drinking water. And at that point, uh, they they kind of can cut a lot of pounds, like, really rapidly. So that that's the system that he and his team use. But it's not it's a system that, that has you kind of above weight before weigh-in. And then kind of you put on the weight right back after the weigh-in. But apparently he didn't – he wasn't told uh, – early enough anyways to change that and mm. it's kind of a difficult thing to throw on a fighter and his team at the last minute when this is something that they've been doing for a while so you know i don't know if you guys have any it's thoughts on weight though i gotta say pardon me it's a it's a it's a smart way to cut weight fast yeah <laughs> you're not depleted of your um your minerals and your nutrients uh in the long uh in the long long term no it's it's like for 12 hours, you literally just like wet your your mouth with water, small little sips, but it's essentially a water and food fast for 12 hours after you've been drinking a lot of water prior to. So that that's hyperhydration. Uh, I want to give a big up to Nando who came through with another super chat. Thank you, Nando. Uh, appreciate that. Nah. Nando's not just a sub, but Nando is all right, and uh, I'll give the last word to you guys. Smallsy, you're up first. Uh, last word. Um, let's see. Oh, I've got a just a question. So Yeah, go for it. Um, not boxing-related at all. Uh, this mm -hmm. is teacher-related. Yeah. I see in the background there, um, you know, we've got the uh, the classroom kind of set up that, <laughs> that the world knows, not just America, but the world knows because we see this kind of classroom set up in all our – 
uh, you know, U.S. media that you know the whole yeah. world consumes. Yeah, is that is that what U.S. classrooms look like? The no, kind of all in not any, not anymore. No, they what what happens is now almost every school uses uh, table groupings, right? Mm, yeah. So you'll have like four kids at a table, all right. And the idea is that there's more kind of collaborative learning taking place. But I'll be honest, in my school, all that happens is kids are at a table and it's ignoring the teacher. So, so I'm a I'm a PE teacher, right? As as you guys know, but uh, one period a day, I have to uh, teach a class called advisory, which I wouldn't even really call teaching because the lessons are are pre made for us. We don't get to design them. And the kids don't get a grade for it, so they don't really care. And when I enter this class last period of the day, the kids are checked out. They want to go home. They want to get their cell phones out. So, you know, but yes, the long story short, they don't use this system. I was, I actually used to prefer this, but, you know, <laughs> we've moved away from a lot of things that used to work in education and have moved towards a lot of new things that I think are pretty much experimentation based on maybe one or two uh, 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 academics uh, uh, study of something and then like teachers have to run with it. But I'm not, I don't know, Ludo, you talk about the table groupings and what you, you think about them. Yeah, it, it, it's uh, very uh, nice, beautiful, progressive, quote unquote progressive, right? Experimentations that may work in some areas, you know, like probably like, I don't know, you know, very quaint suburban areas but it doesn't work everywhere and all it does because i gotta teach the same period at the end uh is really not conducive to focus uh you know teenagers are teenagers and they want to talk about something different and how you're going to group a table four by like four tables together in a circle you're going to have have the class not facing the teacher like what Anyway, it's but no, but Ludo, you're supposed to circulate the room and check for understanding constantly. So. I, I do, but understanding <laughs> about what though? When you do that twenty minute, understanding about what? About why they're doing a TikTok video and ignoring <laughs> you when you're like stop and uh, you know. Uh, yeah. that's too real. <laughs> yeah, I mean we we've got we've got kids that will literally just take out a phone and do a TikTok video in class. So this is the new generation. So I, I hope that that answered the questions, uh, Smolzy. But then, no, this is this is the old school right there behind us. Mm. This is the old school. Wish, that's what we wish it still was, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's advantages and disadvantages to, to to both. But for for what we're doing when we go up there, yeah, it's it's that the uh, this this the table groupings. It, it First should of all, be a whole other podcast. Just yeah, it would be a whole topic. We could be talking for three yeah. hours. Teachers, teachers talk te teaching. Teachers talking teaching or teachers call, talking classroom management. Yeah. But uh, on that note, guys, uh, let's call it a show. And we'll see everybody back here in, in a few weeks again for another episode. And within that time, you guys can reach out to me there. Drop me chats. Drop me messages. Let me know what you'd like the three of us to talk about. And... Uh, We'll be keeping notes ourselves on the sport of boxing. And, uh, you know, we'll be back again soon. So thank you, everybody, for tuning in. I appreciate it. And that will be it for another edition of Teachers Talking Boxing. Thank you. Attention, please.
Bomba Claude, shoot up on fire, man. <laughs> <laughs>